0: But by the same token, isn't it true that to make a statement like that, the word hope is being used in place of wish. I wish he or she will give an easy exam. Or someone might say in regard to the weather, I hope the tornado doesn't come our way. You wish it doesn't. You don't have any thorough expectation that it will or will not. But you're making a statement of your preference, a statement of your wish. Sometimes, you see, we might be tempted to think that hope and wish are basically the same thing. But from the perspective of the Word of God, they are not. They are very different. In fact, so different that the rest of this slide will be an attempt to solidify in our thinking just how different they are. You'll notice that next statement. The Bible's testimony concerning hope is much more meaningful And it's far richer than what this matter of a wish might well be. The word hope occurs 129 times in the King James Version of the Bible. And approximately half of them are in the New Testament. Now, although the New Testament is far shorter than the Old Testament, it has roughly half of the total number of occurrences, at least, of that word hope. What does it mean? The word hope, as the Bible writers use it, conveys the sense of confident expectation. It basically does not mean wish. It means, in essence, a thorough, seated conviction in light of something that is going to happen. It is a confident expectation. Seen in that light... You appreciate some of the verses that challenge all of us, even to this day. In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter in writing said, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is within you, with meekness and with fear. The hope that's within you. Peter asserted then that the nature of that hope ought to be based upon reason and based upon reality so that you could convict somebody else of it. You could share with them the reason, what you believe and why you believe it. And he called that hope. Not only that, you may appreciate that famous statement that opens the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Now there, we see hope used in a very interesting way. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You'll notice there was a powerful connection presented between faith on the one hand and hope on the other. It is true, isn't it, that there's much to be said about the profoundness and the deepness of that connection. But I would suggest that surely you and I can remember that phrase, confident expectation as the Bible uses the word hope. Let's devote the remainder of our lesson then, with that as a background and a bit of a foundation, to looking at some explicit expressions of hope and what it can mean realistically in your life and mine on a daily basis. How this hope really makes a difference in the way we live, in who we are, and what we hope for. Let's begin like this. First of all, there's no question that the first element to be mentioned, and it's one the Bible frequently mentions as well, hope in God. May I draw your attention to a few of the Psalms. It was a very pertinent part of much of what David, as well as other psalmists on occasion, had to say. Confident expectation in God. I realize I stand before an assembly of people. You believe in God, we all do. How sure are you of Him? Do you believe absolutely that He's going to do what He said He'll do, and He'll do it when He said He'll do it? That's a part of hope. Do you and I have the conviction then that among all matters else, we will highlight the nature of God and put His will above our own? Hope in God. In Psalm 38, 15, the Psalmist there declared, My hope is in God. One chapter later in Psalm 39, verse 7, What wait I for? My hope is in God. Now when the Psalmist made those statements, he was in the midst on occasion of some in the midst of some dire circumstances. And yet he said, It is God in whom I have confidence. It is in God that I've put my trust. I think it's interesting, and no doubt we all do, our money still says that, in God we trust. Isn't it interesting that the psalmist, on a number of occasions, asserted that his hope was anchored, was placed, was set in God. In Psalm 146, verse number 5, one more time, as a reference to this concept is presented, the psalmist declared... Without any hesitancy at all, my hope is in the Lord. Surely there's a great deal of lesson in that for each of us. In the midst of a world so often gone wrong, and in the midst of people who so often make poor decisions and choose to rather arrogantly rebel against the things of God, our hope is in God and forever shall be. Because notice what's next. This hope is not a one time thing. It is not something we affirmed when we took the confession prior to baptism. It's not something that we saw on that one occasion. Notice the language of Psalm 71, verse 5. It's a continuous thing. When the psalmist highlighted there the nature of the hope that had been placed in God, he highlighted I've enjoyed it from my youth. It has been an ongoing and realistic part of the life that I now have. Can any less be said of us or should it be less said of us? The thought of that continuing that continuing character, without a doubt, this hope in God is a matter of great blessing. In Jeremiah 17, that noble prophet of old made this declaration. It is in the 7th verse of that chapter. Blessed is the man whose hope the Lord is. Now remember, God's people at that time were moving toward captivity. They weren't yet there, but they had begun to rebel, and they had lived in a flippant and rather challenging way in arrogancy toward God. And yet Jeremiah said, "...the man who is blessed is the one who hopes in God." Today, that's still true, isn't it? Of all people on earth, those who hope in God are the ones who can enjoy the grandest and the most profound seeding of blessing. That same writer would say it like this in Lamentations 3.24. He spoke about the newness of God's mercies every morning and then asserted that my portion is in God and that's because of my hope. Where is your portion, and where is mine? If we are earnest, and if we are noble about this, and if we understand matters appropriately, we'll know that God is our portion, and our hope is what makes that such a wonderful blessing indeed. Let's close that given point with one final observation. Found in Psalm 78. Early in that chapter, a number of verses are presented that Direct us to this truth. The kind of hope that we now appreciate is a hope that is set. In fact, that's the very wording used in verse 7. And that means the hope is not frivolous, it is not accidental, and it is not a happenstance. It is not just going to come out of nowhere. And for that reason, parents in that passage are urged to set your children's hope in God. Live your life before them instructing them, teaching them, putting before them the trueness of the example of hope in God so that they will appreciate it and that they too will have their hope set in the same way. There's a lot of beauty in that thought, isn't it? But not only hope in God, what about this? That also leads us to appreciate hope in the Word of God. A number of verses, in fact, directly state that truth. The first thing that might be interesting to note, what then is our approach to the Word of God? Maybe Jesus said it best in John 12, 49, when He said that in prayer to the Father, Thy commandments Thou hast given Me, and they are not of men. They are of God. And so they stand far higher than human speculation, human opinion, or even the concerted experience of men. It's far greater than that. And because of that, can we not have hope in the Word of God? Indeed, we can. Look at verses like that longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119, verse 74. One more time, the psalmist beautifully, powerfully, and with such ease declared, My hope is in thy word. Therefore, he had confident expectation in everything that God had declared. Do you and I? We often know that there are those who love certain parts of the Bible and sometimes not as excited about other parts. And yet, the psalmist stated that that hope in the Word of God would be a powerful anchor and a great truth. It in fact is reiterated again in verse 81 of that same chapter. My hope is in thy word. Where's your hope and mine today? I hope it's not in the American government. I hope it is not in the characteristics of men, wherever they may be, and I hope it is not in human education. And I hope it is not in the muscular, physical strength of you or me, because that's going to give out at some point. We're going to return to dust, and we're going to leave this place. We need a hope, then, that is centered in something far more lasting than you and I. Maybe it is in that regard. Look at verses like this one. In 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse number 3, As Peter addressed those of his day, he challenged them and said, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto what? A lively hope. Hear it with me. It's a living hope. It is not dead. It isn't something that's passive. It is a hope that motivates and changes the things you and I are each day. It's a living hope. No wonder that thought takes you to Hebrews 4 verse 12 as we close this slide. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's what the Word of God is. It can penetrate even to that which divides soul and spirit. Now that's a pretty, cut, that's a pretty deep cut, isn't it? And yet the Bible can do it. So far as we've at least reflected upon hope in God and hope in the Word of God, what about number three? Some particular benefits that come our way because of hope like what we've described this morning. What does it really mean? May I suggest just a few. It perhaps would be an interesting study to extend this list, but I selected a few which I thought would be particularly appropriate in the modern day in which we live. First of all, think about the word that occurs in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 3. As Paul addressed that church of God's people, he pointed out to them that patience in hope was theirs because of their conviction in and obedience to the God of heaven. Patience of hope, what is that? A definition, it would seem, is in order. That word patience literally means, as you can see on the slide, it literally means steadfast endurance, perseverance. A mindset of continuing onward in the midst of challenges and in the midst of sometimes what may appear to be overwhelming obstacles. Now that church in Thessalonica, as well as many others in that ancient Roman Empire, would have known something about obstacles, but don't we as well? Now, that's often not the same kind of obstacles they faced. Patience of hope. That's connected rather strongly to the idea of steadfastness, and that's the very wording that occurs in Hebrews 3 verse 6. Could I ask you to note the language of that passage? In that chapter, the inspired writer was pointing out what a blessing Moses was as he led God's people and moved them toward that land of Canaan. But he was quick to say, we are God's house today if we hold that hope firm into the end. Now that ought to motivate us. It can't be a hope that does me today. It'll need to be a hope that shall last throughout the endurance of our years upon this planet. A hope, you see that does last firm into the end. Does that categorize you and I? That kind of description takes you to the lesson text that Brother Don read earlier today. In Romans chapter 8, verse 24 and 25, these were the words that we, we heard. For we are saved by hope. Now, doesn't that highlight how strong a concept hope is? We're saved by it. Now, you and I know we're saved by the blood of Christ, and we know we're saved by the love of God, and we know we're saved by the justification through His blood. But this is a passage that says we're saved by hope. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Paul had in view that this issue, why hope for something if you've already got it? If you've seen it, if you can tangibly experience it now, what reason is there to hope for it? It is already a reality. But he says we're saved by hope. And you see in verse 24, hope that is seen is not hope. For what? A man seeth, why does he yet hope for it? But we hope for what we don't see. Now we've already learned our hope is anchored in God, and it's anchored in the Word of God, and yet the thing for which we hope, and it's not a wish, the thing for which we hope is yet to be revealed and uncovered as our lesson journeys forward this morning. As far as strength which this kind of hope provides, it's genuine, isn't it? We know it's an unshakable thing. For that matter, don't you love the way it's described in Hebrews 6? That hope is an anchor of the soul. An anchor keeps things fixed and immovable. It keeps things steady and that which does not move about by the fanciful whims of culture and time. You and I have a, a steadfast anchor of the soul. It's this hope we're discussing this morning. That kind of hope leads us to appreciate that even in the face of death, that's certainly a try or can be a trying circumstance, but even in a case like that, this kind of hope is a real thing. And it is often what will buoy our spirit even in a time like that. Surely the fourth element, as we think more about the nature of this hope, perhaps it's time to come to probably the verse that's already come to your mind, What is the hope that is the Christian's hope? Might we be sufficient to say that there's only one? Oh, there's no doubt many things we enjoy, and many things to which we turn our attention, and many things that we might wish were so. But Paul said it like this in Ephesians 4. Verse number 4, he said, There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called, in one hope of your calling. May we hear it again. There's one hope. There is something then that is the centerpiece of each and every one of us. It doesn't differ person to person. It is not something that's unique and distinct from one person to the other. There's one hope for the family of God's children. It is the hope that is the fourth point of our lesson today. What is it? We aren't left to wonder. Turn over to Colossians chapter 1. And let's read verse number 5 as we let Paul describe what that hope is. Admittedly, we hinted at it a moment ago from the writing of Peter in 1 Peter 1. But in this text, Paul makes it so abundantly plain. The fifth verse of this chapter reads as follows. Paul addressing the church at Colossae, he said, For the hope, note the definite article the, it's the hope, which is laid up for you in heaven. There it is. No matter what else might be said, our hope is in heaven. The existence there, the looking forward to that place, the ongoing existence in all eternity in that place, the hope He wrote that's laid up for you in heaven. That kind of hope. We've already highlighted today, it provides strength, endurance, perseverance. It provides, you see, a connection to something far greater than you and I shall ever be in this life. That hope that's described in Colossians chapter 1 is, of course, the reality of eternal life. No wonder Paul would write to Titus and say in Titus 1 verse 2, about that hope which is eternal life. And God doesn't lie. In other words, this is something that exists. If we have hope in God, we believe in this. If we have hope in the Word of God, we're convinced of this. This confident expectation, we don't merely wish for heaven. As a child of God, we're headed there. It's a certainty. If we obey the Word of God and live faithful to it, It is a promise He has made. This is the promise which He has promised us, even eternal life, 1 John 2.25. That kind of conviction and that kind of hope will steer us through many challenges and other oppressions and great disappointments that can come our way in life. You'll notice near the bottom of that slide what a great truth this concept is. Isn't that the powerful wording of 1 Corinthians 15, 19? Listen to it again. If in this life only we have hope in Christ Jesus, we are of all men most miserable. If your life and mine and any conviction of hope carries us no further than the grave, Paul said we're a miserable man. And that word miserable literally comes from a word that means to be pitied. If our hope is no deeper, no richer, no more lasting than that, then quite frankly, we're to be pitied. That's a sad way to live. But yet, a hope, you see, that is vibrant and anchored, as we've studied today, is a hope that is motivational and a hope that really is an anchor of the soul. All of that leads us to the fifth and last point of the lesson today. And no doubt it's so obvious, isn't it? What is it like not to have this hope? What's it like? What does the Bible say about it? Well, no doubt it's to be expected because we've already learned that this hope that we've studied today is the hope laid up in heaven. And so to not have that hope means there's only one other eternal destiny. And surely nobody would hope for that but yet a lot will will appreciate it. Look at verses like Proverbs 10, verse 28. You know, the Old Testament does speak, and even the New as well, about sometimes that to which the wicked can look forward, if I may state it that way. It's not that they're anxious to get there, but it is a part of that which is in their future. It's certainly nothing to look forward to, but it's miserable. And it's very troubling, and it's very bothersome. But on the other side of that coin is passages like Ephesians 2, verse number 12. As Paul addressed the church in Ephesus, it was to them that he recollected what their former way of life had been. He said there was a time when you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers from the covenants of promise. You had no hope. There it is. Before they were faithful, obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, they had no hope. And today, still anybody that is not a faithful, obedient person to the will of God has none. May we not allow that thought to slip by us and turn our attention to something else lunch will wait. Nothing is more important than this. Is your hope and mine in God? Is it in the Word of God? If so, we can proceed through this life and in fact approach death with an air of strength and with an air of confidence. We can approach the other challenges of life that way as well. But if we have no hope, If our life is such that we have only some degree of passing pleasure from the physical matter of this this life, then we have no hope. And we are of all people to be most pitied. How tragic. Paul didn't want the Ephesians to live that way. He was thankful they had left that way of life behind. He was thankful that they were faithful in their obedience to the Christ. Today, that truth still should be ours nothing is more pressing, nothing more needful than to be a person of hope. Are you and I such a person today? If we're not, the Lord's invitation will allow us to make it so. Jesus said, I died shedding my blood that you might be saved. You can't make it to heaven on your own, but through my blood you can get there. And Jesus shed His blood. And He said, if you will live for me, then I'll take you home to heaven. But you see, we have to live for Him. We start by obeying His gospel, believe in Him, repent of our sins, confess His name and be baptized, and then walk faithfully through this life, obeying His commandments. When we stumble, He gladly welcomes us back, but we have to have the humility to say, you were right and I'm wrong and I'm coming home. We can't remain in our state of sin and expect Him to overlook it. We can't expect to remain in that way of rebellion to Him and expect that He's going to somehow ignore it. He's too just for that. He's too righteous for that. Habakkuk 1.13 declares He will not dwell where iniquity is. Today, if there's anyone in this assembly who does not have the hope we've described today... You need to. You should. The Lord wants you to. But He lets you make the decision. If we could be of some assistance today in helping you become a child of God, we'd be delighted. If you have been a child of God, faithful, and have known this kind of hope, but at this point it's a distant memory, you know you don't have it. Don't fool yourself, it's not going to get any better. Hell will only be worse. When you die, it's all over. There is no time to make any change then. The opportunity to have this hope in reality is now. If we could be of some assistance in the rededication of your life today, that certainly will have to start with you. In a heart that, again, wishes to have hope in God, and a heart that has hope in the Word of God, and a heart that is such that you want more than anything else to go to heaven. If we could, again, pray on your behalf today, if you'll repent of your sins and confess them, He'll forgive and we'll be delighted on your behalf to approach God in prayer. Today, is this hope a reality for you and me? I hope that it is. If it's not, do something about it now. While together we stand and while we sing.